What is going on and welcome to Crossing Broadcast. I am Adam Lefko. Hit me up on Twitter at Adam Lefko with Kyle Scott. You know him at Crossing Broad and Russell Joy at Joy on Broad. Uh, man, I want to give a special shout out to intern Bill putting together the Innis show, getting it out there, allowing us to relax and, I, and enjoy our Memorial Day. And I know Russ and Kyle did some really incredible things on Memorial Day. What would you guys climb a mountain, start a business? What'd you guys do? Uh, that's awesome, guys. <laughs> really yo, I, I, I hope that on Memorial Day, people <laughs> took the Ennis interview and then took some of the salt that he has left over for Philadelphia and Here then applied it, it to their to their burgers, their corn on the cob. Um, nice. That was absolutely. I went back and listened to it many many weeks after the fact. And and if you walk away from that interview thinking that Josh Ennis is over Philadelphia or has no regrets, uh, I think it became even more woefully apparent that uh, that is certainly not the case. One of the it, things I thought was interesting, without rehashing it, was every he he he's very interesting to listen to, and we got a lot of feedback like, "Hey, this is pretty good. I like him more now than I did." And that happened the last time I had him on the podcast. But he does have trouble blaming himself or taking any responsibility for anything and that's not like a shot but it's every time something came up it was it was very easy to push it off on someone else and there was maybe a little bit of introspection I didn't listen to it again but from what I remember there was a little bit of introspection around the WIP stuff but probably not as much as there should have been for a guy who who got himself fired but uh I think he's he's always an interesting guest and people think we're just rehashing old times and a little bit of it is but uh, I do think he has a lot of good insights about uh, local radio. Yeah, I had a text from my friend Dan, and he ended with, he, he tried to play the heel, but you could tell he couldn't hack it. Uh, I was, yeah, it's just amazing how much that man can talk in a short amount of time and how many people he can trash in such a short amount of time. I mean, it was it was such, he's so violent with his words, and I, I remember that night when we did it, looking at each other and being like, this is crazy. And then he, my like hearing it like months later and being like, nope, he's still crazy. Uh, he's, he's wildly talented. He could talk for hours by himself. It's just I found it, man, just suffocating in sadness sometimes. Yeah, and I think a lot of listeners were like, well, this well, we've actually heard this before. It wasn't even new. Like, he went pretty hard at Gargano, but that wasn't um, – that wasn't altogether something that caught readers off guard. It was almost expected at this point. And I think people are probably there, you know, some people do tune into his podcast, his Philly podcast, because, you know, he's moved on from Philly, just like I'm sure Adam is getting ready for his Kentucky base uh, podcast later today. Yeah, man, because that's what you do is uh, everywhere you leave. And then after that, I have a Nebraska based podcast, too. You know, you just you got to stay true to your roots. Uh, and speaking of our roots, we have a, uh, an iTunes comment, uh, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood by Russell K. Hustle. Now, Russell, this is not you. It you wasn't me. It was not Both me. Russells but... are not the same. Uh, great podcast. I don't know any of these people. And you guys were trying to explain it to me earlier. Kyle is Daniel Tiger. That's right. Central figure, key to the story, but a bit whiny and very sensitive. Also, I'm not whiny pants. or sensitive. Kyle, are you wearing pants Shut right up, now? Shut up, Josh. I, I actually put on a. It was a joke, right? You missed that. It was my punchline. No, I, no I, I heard it. Okay. I okay, heard thanks. it. I just. Uh, I am wearing pajama pants because it's 
freezing. I feel like I'm in fucking London. Do we have to do a pants? Do we have to do a pants check right now? Kyle's wearing pants. I'm wearing pants. pants. Adam, I'm not wearing pants. Oh, (laughs) I'm being serious. Uh, Adam is Prince Tuesday. Hangs out with his brother's younger friends. Adam seems like the kind of guy to go to high school parties two years after graduating. Nice. Uh, I'll tell you that I felt like I was doing that at Maynard's on Friday in Margate. The average age was like 20. And I looked around and went, I hate everybody. Uh, And Russ, you're apparently Baker Aker. And the only description (laughs) this person gave was, your sexuality is ambiguous. (laughs) He's our pet. You know what? (laughs) I, I just have sometimes. I, I also want to point out that I had somebody tweet at me over the weekend, and it was the person who did the Thomas the Tank Engine review, oh. and they they tweeted at me and said something along the lines of, um, "Yeah, that was totally worth it, and it was totally worth listening to Toby whine about being called Toby." I was like, "There it is, man. full Inception." Adam, gonna, yeah. there he is, and he brought the figures for today. I'm going to take a screenshot one of these days, um, Adam. How I we get a lot of questions about bars down the shore to yeah. rank them, and someone asked yesterday like Avalon and Sea Isle. I I don't even choose the question because I know basically three bars. It's it, for me it was not is uh, the OD, the Princeton, or I guess occasionally La Costa and Sea Isle, and that was pretty much yes. like my entire circuit. I would assume you're like a you Margate. All I know about Margate is memories. Are you yes? Like, I are you? Oh wait, are you seriously? Yes. No kidding. Uh, Were you, did I you was, befriend the Geeter with the heater? Dude, okay. Wow, I wasn't expecting to talk about any of this. So my summer after my freshman year, I was a bar back at Memories, and I witnessed incredible things. I witnessed stumpy older Italian men just yelling, "Do you know who I am?" to each other for an entire summer. Yes. Um, it was unbelievable. Uh, the Geeter with the heater. Uh, he had a manager named Rita, uh, who was uh, an older lady that ran the shop, and she was legendary. I went there on Friday night with two girls uh, and one of their husbands. And we were walking up, and one of the girls goes, last time we were here, he looked at us and went, it's the Wrigley twins, peppermint, spearmint, spearmint, peppermint. And I was like, yeah, I was like, <laughs> probably just one of the things he was doing that night, you know. So we walk in and we go like to the dance floor and they go near him. And I this is swear Blavitt, you're talking about him, right? Jerry Blavitt, the Geeter yes. with the heater yes. within two seconds, he looks up and he goes, Oh, the Wrigley twins, peppermint, spearmint, <laughs> spearmint, peppermint. And I was like, what the hell is going on? It's he's unbelievable. I don't know how he has that energy. Uh, it's one of the, it was one of the more absurd places to work, but I made straight cash, straight cash at memories. Yeah. It was an amazing summer. I, I, it's funny when people are like, Oh yeah, memories. I'm like, Oh man, I got memories about memories. I was, yeah, I was joking. I wasn't actually expect that's all about. I know about Margate pretty much and a yeah. couple of good restaurants, but it's so funny. You bring up the, do you know who I am card? Cause my lone Jerry Blavitt story is my mom in CVS in Springfield, Delaware County behind Jerry Blavitt in line. And he's pulling the, do you know who I am card to the 16 year old girl working behind the counter at CVS. And he's like, you don't know who I am. You know, the geeter with the heater and the girl behind the counter was just like, sir, uh, didn't no have any idea. idea. No idea. 
Oh, oh that's awesome. We stumbled upon doing a great sports debate at Chickies and Pete's one night after the show. I think it was right before Thanksgiving. He does his big uh, dance party at Chickies and Pete's, and the people coming in for that were not our demographic. In no, no way, shape, tad or form. Older, tad older, older, and just a little bit different than us. I mean, they uh, would have swing dances at a nightclub. It was amazing. Uh, yeah. Speaking of uh, things that are amazing, uh, wh- Kyle, we're ranked again in iTunes. What was that number? We were 69 last night. Nice. Yes. Uh, I think we're, we're somewhere in the same vicinity today. So keep those coming. And when you mentioned the Josh Ennis show, he got the CB bump. He was up to number 83 last night, and he hadn't recorded an episode in a week. So we actually gave him, uh, I guess, some enough pub to shoot up the downloads. Oh. I got a few tweets. People said they were going to subscribe to his podcast after listening to us, and he is... Uh, actually, right on our heels in the rankings. So, uh, well done, audience. Well done. Wow. We're, we've already reached a point where we're giving bumps to other podcasts. This is a big I checked, deal. Well, I checked. I'm like, did he just come out with an episode? Did I miss something? But his last episode was May 23rd. And that was the yeah. first time I've seen it. He has like a big black and pink um, logo. So, it's pretty easy to spot. I hadn't seen it in the top 200 before. So Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, go out there, check out his podcast. He was kind enough to be on ours. And as always, please leave those five-star reviews. It helps with the rankings. And as you can tell, it gives a huge dopamine rush to Kyle, Russ, and I to see us up there. It just, it just makes us feel good. Uh, almost as good as uh, Cataldi uh, hearing himself talk. Uh, had a big write-up that I think was more – it was a very Crossing Broad-style article in the – was that the Philly voice um, mm-hmm. where it was critical of the media? It was Cataldi's hot take. Uh, and, and Kyle, you kind of agree with what he said. So, Kyle, what did he say and what do you agree with? So, yeah, his column, it, I'll read a short excerpt. This is how it started off. After a bad season and now his absence from the first week of OTAs, Fletcher Cox should be cowering at the prospect of facing the Philadelphia media, the so-called toughest group of reporters and columnists in America. He isn't, I guarantee it, because our city's media has become soft as a newborn kitten. Wow. Uh, The current group of scribes and babblers must have taken more courses in public relations than journalism. For the most part, all they lack are pom-poms. He then went on to uh, reminisce about the good old days and mentioned, of course, Stan Hockman and also Bill Conlon, who uh, maybe maybe not the best guy to mention now because he's a sexual predator. Um, So that was his take. And you agreed with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I like, I think he chose the wrong example because we've discussed why the Fletcher Cox and OTAs thing is really not interesting to just about anyone outside of media or the most intense uh, depths of Reddit. And I, that's not a shot, but the most hardcore Eagles fans who follow every single day, day in, day out, the goings on of the team. So I don't know if I like his example here, but I did. I do think he touched on something about specifically beat writers, and this isn't like a trash the media episode, but we talked about this a little last time. It, if you're in, and Adam, you've been in this world, so I want to get your take, but if you are a, a traditional media person, especially in a local market, especially doing local news or local sports, your entire existence throughout your career is, okay, go to college, do some internships in the field, get a job and, and wind up covering, you know, B and C level stories, go to events, go to press conferences, 
transcribe or report on what happened at press conferences, get some sound, get one man on the street, get a divergent viewpoint, and put a bow on it at the end. And that's pretty much whether you're in print or TV, it's it's sort of a similar path. And I feel like when in sports, the way that translates is the the existence of a sports reporter, obviously, is to go to the game, report on what happened. But as times have changed and people are able to very easily get highlights and pretty much see whatever they want, for the most part, beat writers have gotten away from just um, telling what happened at a game and tried to give more in-depth or, or narrative-specific pieces. But also, the other part of the job is going to every practice, going to OTAs, going to every team-sponsored media availability, and writing about it, even when it's not important. And to me, that's like, I call it uh, press release journalism, because all, the, all you're really doing is going to the the events that your subject puts on, writing about what they say and did, and then moving on. And there's never any sort of lay, like outside-the-box thinking. A few guys do stuff differently. Some guys get into analytics. Some guys do stick figures. But for the most part, 33 people were there yesterday to talk to Jim Schwartz, the defensive coordinator, the day after Memorial Day on May 30th. And I can't imagine there was almost any demand from the fan base to hear from Jim Schwartz. It's... uh. Before we get to that, though, Ross, I know that you and I were kind of opposite Kyle in the Cataldi criticism. Um, I know, Russ, originally you were like, this article's bullshit. I know that I thought that it was overdone. Um, just this, for me, like the, the line, in a blue-collar city where you have to work every day to feed your family, like I'm just so done with Angelo – using the common fan, like connecting with the blue collar worker uh, to take shots at other people and telling me that if you want to know what they're really talking about, check out the comment section. Like a comment section has ever been used for productive research ever. Um, I just, I don't know. I I see what Kyle's saying and we're going to get back to the media again. But what did you think about his critique as a whole, Russell? I thought it was overdone, very hyperbolic. Um, I I don't really enjoy it all that much when in the first couple paragraphs we're saying that the media has become soft as a newborn kitten. Um, poor imagery. Just I, I, I didn't enjoy his article. Um, we're back to complaining about Fletcher Cox and the amount of money he makes, about his, his stats dropping. It just it felt like you're writing to the lowest common denominator again. And... And like in attacking the media and and the beat guys uh, who were there daily for not doing good journalism, he then turned around and did poor journalism. Like he didn't actually bring anything new to the conversation. He didn't get new quotes. He didn't take a new angle on it. He essentially just recycled what you would imagine he would he would say if he was do, if he expanded his like show outline for a for like a Monday morning show. And just, you know, took it from outline form to, like, essay form. There's nothing new in it. And, like, bringing up that Marcus Smith wasn't there, like, all right, that's a good narrative to run with. Because we now assume that he's likely going to be cut. Mentioning that Donnie Jones wasn't there is a freaking punter. Like, I don't care if Donnie Jones doesn't show up until training camp. Like, these are just kind of issues that I I had with it. And then he he breaks off into other sports. And it's like... it's like doing surface level diving in. And I, I think like the thing that that was funny to me is I remember I think it was Ms. Anelli used to write 
on Philly Voice. I might be wrong. I know that he had been doing some kind of, of articles like this one that Angelo did. He did and Philly I, and, Mag for a little while. All right, then that was what it was. And then it may I, have been I, Philly Voice. And too. then I remember like when we first started up, I was thinking like, man, I haven't seen one of those articles from one of the, the radio guys in a while. Maybe they, they stopped doing it because they just didn't get good feedback. And then lo and behold, Angelo Cataldi just comes out with this. I wouldn't even call it scathing. It's just no. It's, every time he does something, I feel like it's parody, and like I, I think he, I Angelo is the ultimate troll. I, I don't remember the last time that I went. You know what? I think Angelo actually believes that. I, I always think I'm being pandered to when I'm listening to Angelo. He's either faking outrage about something. Or he's telling people that they should be outraged about something that he doesn't really care about. Um, I, the, the, he, to me, is the ultimate boy who cried wolf. That I always think it's a radio shtick. And I always think he's Howard Sterning us. And so I just, I always just feel dumb, like, feeling anything towards what he says. Well, and I've got two, I've got two big issues with what he wrote. One was he attacked Matt Klentak, which I think is fair to a point, but he did the same kind of slicing Klentak apart that he used to do with Hinky, saying that somebody who uses analytics doesn't have a basic IQ for their sport, which I don't know if it's fair because the Phillies are so woefully dreadful at this point with really no end in sight that like it, it is hard to pass judgment in a different way. But he brought up Brian Colangelo and he talked about that there are just as many unknowns as there have been for years. He mentions that Dario Saric is the only one that that we know anything new about, but then goes on to say that Jaleel Okafor is still an unknown. Jaleel Okafor is not an unknown. The only thing that's unknown about him is why he's still having issues with his right knee two years after the fact. We know what he is. We know what he is as a player. We know what his ability is or inability defensively is like. That well, I don't think I don't think that was a compliment or a defense of Okafor. I think that was more or less him saying, "Here's a guy the Sixers drafted two years ago, and we still don't know what's going to become of him. Will he become a part of the rotation? Are they going to trade him?" I, I think that was his only yeah, point. Realize, in realize that he doesn't have any facts that mean anything, and he said that Fletcher Cox had a down year last year just to make a point when Fletcher Cox was a Pro Bowler. So. It's it's I'm done. I'm actually really annoyed. I, while Russell was talking, I was like, I hate giving this much time to well, someone like this right now. Let but me play the saying, let me play the however thing. Okay, yeah. But I was going to say I I agree with you guys. I think he chose. I'm He's not trying troll, to go against bro. the grain here. He's the ultimate troll. I I agree, and I've like we've excoriated him for a lot of stuff he's written, and I think choosing the Fletcher Cox is, was the worst example he could have chosen. I did find that his Phillies and Sixers rants, for the most part, in there were quite good. Like it's okay to rant in sports. We we hate the rant now because it just gets labeled as a hot take, but it's right. okay to rant about sports from time to time. The Fletcher Cox thing is missing the mark, and for all the reasons you guys just listed. But he had pretty fair. I thought his observations about the Sixers were pretty fair at this point. He picked up on Brian Colangelo's words saying we have a lot of knowns, and I, I kind of agree with him. There are not a lot of knowns. We know that Embiid can be a superstar if he's healthy, and we know Saric is decent, and that's about it, and that's what Angelo keyed in on. And the Phillies are deserving of everything they get at the moment, so I didn't have a problem with that. I just thought... So while the example was bad, and I know that he's the ultimate troll, the guy does work hard. So I, I think, unlike some other guys like Eskin or 
Well, Eskin works hard. That's a bad example. Um, Mike Missinelli, right? Like, or Anthony Gargano. Cataldi shows up to work at 3 a.m. and prepares a show, and that's what keeps you on top for 25 or whatever years. So I've always been kind of partial to him because everything he does that's trolly is sort of with a wink and a nod. You yes. never get the sense that he fully takes himself seriously, and that makes that makes trolling a little bit better because you understand that the guy is playing a character and he knows that you know and vice versa. So I have less of a problem with it than it's than when it when it's that. But I do think this column touched on that like that little media thing that there's a there was a nugget of truth there about being the PR media. Eddie, yeah, let me say this: the reason that I know that he's a troll, but I still respect him is because he puts in a, a show, and I was explaining this to my dad, it's the only show that I feel like is well-produced in the city. It's the only show that I go, oh, they have a segment with a comedian, and there's a pre-recorded thing, and then they go somewhere else, and they go on a different topic. There's always different elements to the show, just from like a, a creation standpoint, that mm-hmm. I know that it, it's... I'm, I'm not going to compare it to Fox News, but it's like – or like the Colbert show. Like it, it feels like parody, and I know it is, and I'm going, man, there's a lot of people out there that are not realizing what he's doing right now, which is incredible to me. Um, to what you were saying about the media, it's really interesting because these are writers and, and TV people that for months haven't had anyone to talk to. And they've been trying to talk to Jim Schwartz. And so when I see all the tweets yesterday about, man, I got to ask Jim Schwartz about this and I got to ask him about that. It's been so long since I've talked to him and blah, 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 blah. It's funny, Kyle, because I've never actually thought about it as like, okay, here's like a piece, like here's a piece of meat and then all the piranhas swim up and, and tear it apart till there's nothing left. And all of your stories that day will be about one thing. Um, yeah, it's, it's the media availability. They have complete control. You know, it's just these, these players and coaches don't have to talk to anybody in the off season. Um, I will say the play by play thing a few years ago did not feel as stale as it does now. So I was covering Charlie Strong's Louisville Cardinals team. I was covering Teddy Bridgewater, all that stuff. And we would get to go to practice and no one else could. And we would do the play by play and realize like as a reporter, if you start getting retweets, you feel like you're doing something. So yesterday when Alshon Jeffrey beat Rasul Douglas, whatever his name is, and cause, and then spikes the ball. And then I see uh, media members tweeting it and then getting hundreds of retweets. Kyle, you got there. They think play by play is good. Like that is the one play that people are like, Ooh, that was visual. You know what I mean? Like that was the one that stood out, but yeah, I, I remember doing it and thinking, Oh, people want to know that this guy dropped passes. People want to know where they're lining up as a second corner. Um, but they, it just never carried. Like I always say the name, Nay Brown, like Nay Brown never dropped a pass in OTAs. And he also like never played a meaningful snap of regular season football. Mm-hmm. And there was a correlation there. But uh, I know that you guys think it's tragic. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a problem. There's not a problem with observations. If, I, if Alshon Jeffrey just is tearing it up 
or there is something about Carson Wentz's game that looks off or looks incredible that wasn't there last year. Like, all that stuff is fair game. I don't think they should just go and be mute. But they have to realize that most of the people following them are following multiple beat writers. Um, I mean, certainly some are more popular than the others. But if you're following Jeff McLean, you're probably following Les Bowen or Jimmy Kemsky or Elliot Shore Parks. And, you know, like... I get it. I mean, these guys, I'm not trying to bang on any one guy. It's This is across all the sports. The Flyers guys are probably the worst at it. Because when Twitter started a few years ago, especially the older reporters, it was like, well, you have to tweet about what's happening, and we'll figure out a content strategy around it later. So go to the games and tweet. And the Phillies guys, when the Phillies were good, 2010, 2011, Twitter was relatively new. I mean, they would tweet when they would announce the attendance at the ballpark. They would all right. tweet when there was a home run. Like someone would hit a home run, and you'd see 10 tweets that there was a home run. And that happens during Eagles games now. You know, you'll have guys all tweeting, touchdown, sprawls. And it's like, no shit. The entire city is watching the game. Well, and I just think when I that was... translates to OTAs, it's like, okay, like you guys have to realize that you're just, you sound repetitive right now. But that wasn't, yeah. that really wasn't even my issue from the, the Cataldi thing. That was more of an aside that, of something. Oh, they yeah. Do. Yeah. Yeah. But that, yeah, that's something that we're seeing right now on Twitter. One, all of them would say, well, then unfollow the other people and only follow me. And two, I would always get someone when I would be covering sporting events that would be like, hey, can't see the game. Can you keep the updates? And that's why. Kyle, when you tell tell me about like one commenter said something, I really could give two shits because they're not. I like do not believe that one person is indicative of hundreds of people like oh, newsrooms used to think. And so all these guys are like, well, you know, this guy said they want play by play tweets. Yeah, I mean, it's just that now we're talking about Twitter as a medium, and I find that it ruins everything. Yeah, like that's a a feed destroyer. Like during the afternoons right now, Twitter is annoying from everyone tweeting the same thing for sure. See, I don't dislike when a reporter does the updates on a game. I, I guess that might be where it's a little bit different for me because like if, if I'm not able to watch the game, I don't mind turning on my Twitter and like picking one reporter to follow for the day. And then I just unfollow them again if I know I'm going to be out of town. But like for, for OTAs, the, here's the issue that I had yesterday. So uh, I don't remember who it was. Somebody tweeted that like Nelson Aguilar dropped a pass. Fine. But then they they almost made like the kind of snide remark the the like, let's get the narrative going again and said something like Nelson Aguilar drops a pass so much for getting better. And well, it's like Elliot Shore Parks. And it's like, I don't like I, I don't know. It just might not be my style. But I'm like, I get that the guy sucked last year and the year like I get it. I want the kid to be successful. And, like, if he drops a pass, that's fine. Feel free to tweet about it. But, like, I don't need your narrative on top of it. I think it's, like, I would much rather hear Alshon Jeffrey goes up and beats Rasul Douglas for a touchdown, spikes the ball in his face. That's fine, because I want to know that the guy that we spent all this money on is being successful or is, or is building chemistry with his quarterback. Like, that part to me is more important than Nelson Aguilar drops a pass. Now, if you tell me that, there's like, I don't know, Marcus Smith shows up and he starts tearing up OTAs. Like, yeah, you take that with a grain of salt, but at least that would be some kind of a story. Telling me that Aguilar drops a pass and then, you know, saying, oh, he's, he's not, uh, not getting any better, man. He's, he's still trash. Uh, really excited for, uh, you know, him to get cut this year. Like, I don't need that. I just don't. Yeah, I, like, I, and I'm not like, I'm not trying to bang on any 
one of the guys. In fact, I know a couple of these guys listen to it, so I'm probably going to hear from one or two of them. Um, I'm not banging on anyone. Think like, it's an interest. Yeah, but I think that, that before you keep going, I don't think we're banging. I think we're we're going what we did last time about radio. Like, how do you make this better? So then, yeah. My, then it's like so we're not banging, but we're saying, hey, we don't like that. So what could you do? What could you be tweeting or covering when it's a, a mosh pit of the same stuff to be different? Do you do you go out there and go, okay, we're doing dumb themed observations today where I'm only going to, you know, like all of my tweets are going to be Thomas the Tank Engine references. Like how can you make it different to where – because you're, you're standing there in a box with 32 other people and like Alshon Jeffrey catches the ball. And I bet if you looked around, everybody buries their head in their phone and is firing off that fire tweet, you know? So how can yours be different? I don't think any of them are asking themselves that question. Yeah. And the, yeah, I mean, that's, I, that's all fair. And I, I think for me, what Cataldi's thing touched on and we could put a bow on it, but and this is kind of big in, in political reporting now, and you see a lot of criticism of the top-down reporting, the mainstream media that reports only on what officials say, official sources, officials say, um, and you'll see like a lot of criticisms from the Glenn Greenwalds of the world or even, or even like WikiLeaks whenever they get a chance to talk about this sort of thing. They'll talk about how mainstream reporters just are really reporting on what their subjects tell them, and... And, that, you know, that's not good. That's not really great reporting because it allows if there's a war, right, if this is the Iraq war, you're just reporting on, well, you know, so-and-so said they have weapons of mass destruction. And yet I know this is like on the I know Russ is going to make fun of me for you relating it to the president again. But jeez, uh, are we going Trump style again? No, we're not going Trump style. We need style. like a sound drop for this kind of thing. But I've just but like I do think there's a parallel there when when teams when not that it's even remotely as important, but when you're covering a sports team and you just go to the press availability or go to uh, whatever practice they have or whatever, there's a community outreach program and the guys are painting houses in North Philly and all the reporters are going to be there to take pictures and get one soundbite from Jeffrey Lurie, who's going to wear the only regular 100% cotton T-shirt he owns. Um, I feel like that is just... That is that like PR driven media where it's the team is doing making this available for us. So we're just going to go and trumpet that. And I do think you've seen that change lately as teams have put out a lot of their own news. The Flyers famously started announcing their goalies on Instagram and the reporters got all bent out of shape. I do think you're seeing reporters starting to figure out ways to be a little bit different. But to Angelo's point, like with the Cox thing and the OTAs, a lot of the reporting on that was just what are the coaches saying? And of course, the coaches aren't bad mouthing him, and it pretty much stopped there. And his point was let's be different, let's try and take a stance or have an opinion on this without just parroting what the team says. I agree it's a non story, but I do yeah, think there or, was a. He touched or you on could do the there. Marcus Hayes strategy, which is go to those press conference <laughs> and then just up. like create random narratives. <laughs> which, by the way, if you saw Jeff McLean had a huge article in the Inquirer on Sunday talking about how Carson Wentz is developing and used two of the exact same quotes from the Marcus Hayes piece, except now they had a positive connotation that I found very funny. It's I'm still surprised at how much of a shit box that was. Uh, all right. Questions uh, from NBA Avenger with your obvious distaste of local radio. What podcast or radio do you like and why? Let's start off with Russ, who is the uh, um, 
anti-hero, the anarchist of the local radio group. Give one podcast. I think people are. I think he was legit looking for a recommendation here. Does it have to be a sports podcast? No, not at all. No, I love. I love Reply All. Reply All is my favorite podcast by far. Besides Crossing Um, Broadcast, yeah. yeah. Um, it's stories, stories about things that have been influenced by the internet. We're talking like South American elections that had like a, a, an old grandmother in her apartment. She like started this like whole revolution without meaning to, um, they do some really awesome reporting, like a guy who was arrested for murder. He has autism. They build this whole narrative for like three episodes about how he might be innocent. I mean, it's, it's fantastic reporting. Some of the episodes are really short, which is nice. They used to do um, a podcast called TLDR, which I just started downloading now. But Reply All is like, if if you need something on Tuesdays and Thursdays when Crossing Broadcast is not releasing episodes, I, I would highly recommend that one by far. I was uh, going to go with Crossing Broadcast, and that's it. <laughs> nice. Uh, and, and check out the Sims and Lefko podcast. Yeah. They're two guys I've never actually heard of, but they're really good. That was on a platter for you. And you bungled it. Uh, I'll go with, uh, I've mentioned his, his website on Crossing Broad a lot, uh, Stratechery. But I'll go with Ben Thompson's podcast, uh, The Exponent, it's called. And this is a guy, he writes, he has a subscription website where he writes about the confluence of tech and media and business and how all, all those things interrelate. And he does touch on a lot of the same high-level topics we talk about, specifically cord cutting and um, new media and stuff like that. And there's also a lot of tech stuff in there, a lot of Amazon and Apple and Google coverage. So his podcast, The Exponent, kind of ties all that stuff together. It's only, it's weekly or maybe three times a month, but, and they're not too long. They're only about 45, 50 minutes, but they go in depth on a specific topic and really break it down in a way. It's not like a normal tech podcast where they're just talking about gadgets. They really kind of break down the business of stuff and they do touch on a lot of media stuff. So The Exponent by Ben Thompson. You guys are nerds, and I love it. Uh, we right, I'm then. surprised you haven't cited a Michael Lewis or another uh, or some uh, Malcolm Gladwell's latest project today. The only thing that I will say is check out the Aubrey Marcus podcast, but I don't need to get into my spirituality or my need to be a complete, fully functioned human being. Uh, so I was going to keep it more sports. I don't the know. Aubrey what Michaels? What is, what uh, is that podcast? Aubrey Marcus. All right, we got another tweet from at hip underscore bro, which is uh, Russ's <laughs> high school nickname, hip underscore bro. Uh, how would you program a four-hour block afternoon drive of sports radio for any time in the next month or two while nothing is really going on? Ooh. This, this is tough. Listen to podcasts. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with Russ. Like, uh, I, we got another question similar to this. I, I don't know that I would. It, I would program. I would program the drive time hour and a half, the four thirty to six. With I would produce it the way you talked about Angelo's shows produced. I would take that ninety minute bit that is their peak listening time in the afternoon and really produce it. Flesh out the segments. Flesh out exactly when you're going to have guests on, and they do do this to an extent. But I would build a ninety minute show and get rid of everything before that. Just do the ninety minute show, and then before that. If I'm the station, do an hour of, do a, and they'll never do this, but do an hour of Sixer show. Do a Flyer show. Do an Eagles hour. They do Eagles hours in the evening. 
do the other teams in the middle of the day when your ratings aren't there anyway. At least it might have some value as an on-demand product later. They won't do that. But if, as, if I'm a listener, I'd appreciate if they just prepared a 90-minute concise show for the drive time. But again, like we talked about this last time, and I'm firmly of this belief, this isn't our problem. Um, their problem is not necessarily their talent or what they can do. It is more or less the medium and the absence of live breaking news or um, you know a big story that you want to hear about now, now, now. Uh, most of the time, you're just dealing with a you don't the medium isn't important. It doesn't need to be live, and that is why I do think podcasts are a better alternative. Do you have anything there, Russ? No. Good stuff. Uh, <laughs> I love it when you go to Russ and he's just like, wait, where's my mic? At eBay Johnson 13, shouldn't you draft for talent and sign free agents for need? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I ask, guess, ask Clentac. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, this is maybe a good jumping off point for our Phillies topic because I'm not sure which team he's referring to here. Um, definitely Sixers. Definitely Sixers. Okay, well, I mean – no, no, we a, are not going on the Kyle Lowry thing. I, I abs- I'm going to use my veto that I don't have. I swear, we are not. I, I, I'm going to leave soon. I'm not. I'm can, not doing like ten more minutes of Kyle freaking Lowry and his great fit with the Sixers. Spare us all, Kyle. Please. Can I just tell you a quick story? No, my parents no. were over this weekend, and I my dad and I. I tweeted out a video on Monday morning. We were we were we went down a YouTube wormhole together. He's fully aboard the Malik Monk. He couldn't care if he even plays on the other half of the court. He doesn't care if he can dribble. He's seen enough of his shot to be in love with him. But my dad is one of. The, if you think I'm a Kyle Lowry fan. My dad is one of the all-timers because we went to a lot. It was the year after I graduated in 2006, and we went to a ton of Villanova games together that year when they were top five in the country. And he, Lowry is one of his all-time, all-time favorite players. And we went down a Lowry wormhole, and let's just say uh, he was hooting and hollering watching him still at age 31 just steamroll guys in the paint and get off his high degree of difficulty shots. And then watching, he hadn't, he doesn't watch obviously the Raptors that much, was so impressed by the way his three-point range all right, has improved all right, since all right, college. Right. So, yeah, yeah, that was, I'm done. At Perk 22 I mean, how worried should we be about the Phillies? It's pretty disturbing just how bad they are. It's beyond disturbing, Perk 22 I, I, I was down the shore and I had the Phillies game on twice in attempts to watch it. And both times, I did not. I Russ, it's awful. Russ, what are your I, like high level philosophical thoughts on the Phillies? I just want to rip into a couple things that are that we're experiencing in Philadelphia. So the Sixers thing, right? Sixers, you can you can love or hate the process. The the instant well, the, gratification. Let me, let me read this question because this goes okay. perfectly into it. JWJ five one four. I'm starting to see the Sixers process le- leaking into all of the Phillies mentality. Do you guys see this from fans and media such as the Phillies um, and uh, and this promise of young development town, the Eagles, slow and steady approach, not being hated as much in previous years? So you were going to talk about the process yeah. of the Phillies. So I think that the process has given the other teams a little bit of leeway, which is fine because sometimes being patient is better than the instant gratification kind of thing that like the Ed Snyder Flyers used to do where it was we're going to trade our young guys – 
for some big name vet at the trade deadline to like end up being like a, a mid to lower seed and, and maybe like win a first round playoff series, but go no farther. My my issue, I think, is with the Sixers, like, yeah, you can get instant gratification because you have a first round pick who's going to immediately step in and make an impact. The Phillies are such an issue because the the guys that you draft in in baseball, you don't see for years. So there's there's no instant gratification. I think the thing that that angers me the most about the Phillies is if they're looking to bottom out to get high draft picks in, in baseball, which, again, you're not going to see the benefits of for four or five years, which is the thing where like. Hinky used to get slaughtered for, you know, um, uh, you know, trying to build out his timeline and build job security for Clentac. Like, I don't know if he'll ever actually get to see any of the fruits of the labor because eventually the fans are going to stop going to the ballpark. And when you're seeing it every day, it's not like this is an every three or four day thing like the Sixers schedule. It's every day. And when when parents stop taking their kids to the game or you stop going with friends because even though it's like $5 for a ticket on StubHub or something, like you're not going to get to see any of, of the, the the benefits of whatever kind of process Clintac is trying to do. I get mad because there's no salary cap in baseball. You can buy yourself a team that could at least be quasi-relevant. They won't be a contender. But like while you're trying to get some of these minor league guys some seasoning at double and triple A, you could be putting a, a decent product out on the field. I just don't totally get what they're doing. I get it in basketball. I even could kind of rationalize it a little bit in hockey. Football, I could see tanking for a season if you know that there's going to be a franchise quarterback at the top of the draft. But I don't get it for the Phillies. And I think the thing that is even more frustrating is, and this is like where being a union fan is is part of uh, like they're kind of a harbinger. They're a harbinger of, of things that could happen to the other teams. The, the union have been a big team for building through the draft but not acquiring big-name guys. MLS allows you to sign three designated players, which are big-money dudes that you can get from all over the world. You can throw copious amounts of cash, and the league helps you buy them. The union do not have any designated players right now, and they refuse to do it. They believe in building through the draft and acquiring like small-name guys from abroad. When they could buy themselves relevance while developing players in an academy, the union and the Phillies are both on the same kind of track. I just don't get it. This is that was tough. <laughs> you went you went to the Phillies tanking, and then talked about the merits of an MLS man developmental program. I'm just saying, like this is this is one of those. Well, I appreciate an analogy. The parallel, analogy for, the, the, the parallel for the teams of the summer. My God, like the summer's supposed to be a happy time, and both teams in this city just refuse to give people any reason to watch their teams. By Wait, the way, Adam Lefko, the the Philadelphia Union had won four straight games, right, six game unbeaten streak. You go and tweet, you goof, and it's, then they lost <laughs> their first game in seven. Yeah, maybe they needed some more hardship. All right, it's welcome that, to Philadelphia sports. It's that point oh, point that in the really show. My head. It's no, I actually I don't mind I don't mind the good analogy, and I thought that was totally fair. We did we didn't need to bash the, uh, the or we didn't need to go full developmental, but I'll take it. This is also the point of the show. If you're listening, where Russ begins walking around his basement, and we get the reverse dick pic. Did you hear us yes. talk about the reverse dick pic, Russ? I did. My wife texted it to me. And uh, as I get up and start moving around, she texted me. She's the other seen day. that angle she, before. She she texted me, you know, hashtag reverse dick pic. I said, what the heck is that? Like, I, I just hadn't caught the last 10 minutes of the episode. I was like, what are you what are you talking about? She's like, you need to go back and listen to when you got off the show 
and Kyle and Adam were left alone, what they talked about. <sighs> and I love the fact that as soon as Surprise, I got she off... she didn't text you to flip the camera around. Yeah. Uh, I absolutely love the fact that the second I got off, um, the conversation devolved into penis Spiral. jokes. Spiral so, control. Yeah. So anyway, um, it's about to get off the rails, folks. Uh, great seeing both of you gents as always. And uh, I always... See you later. I always, I love always appreciate... Much love, Adam. I'm gonna. We're gonna get you to a union game. I think that's something that the three of us this summer need to do. It's cheap. We can, we can go to a union game. It'll be okay. Uh, I'm gonna pass. Oh, you. Go. I've sat with the sons of Ben once for a post. I would do it again. That, well, that's an see, then you did it wrong because you don't sit with the sons of Ben. You stand and you cheer I, and I you sing. I was in the row with the drummer guy. Uh, yeah, it was just a little. That's intense. another rant for another day. All right. So. What's going on? Say so, yeah, this is the part of the, the people will people have tweeted. Where does that guy always go in the middle of the show? So if you're somewhat new to the show, Russ has to leave for work by about uh, six forty-five, and it's currently almost seven o'clock, so he's late again. Um, anyway, I, on the Phillies, it is tough right now because even the notion of talking about the Phillies is difficult, and I feel like people. Who are whether they're listening or reading on the website, the interest is so low with the Phillies right now. I can't even, I can't even like bubble up the outrage that I actually feel about missing entire summers of baseball. We had such a good stretch from really 2003 when they started to get good up through 2011, where it was like you can count every night in the summer that you could put on a baseball game and enjoy it and feel like you're watching something or they're working towards something. And then obviously they got real good. And that got stripped away from us in the course of like three months in 2012. And since then, the, everything the Phillies have done has been a complete um, yeah. aimless, aimless effort to do nothing. So I, I don't even like my outrage is more more along the lines that, like you said, you could go down the shore for a weekend and what used to be great background noise, the sort of thing you can go out to the bar, watch the seventh inning and then seventh and ninth innings and then go out and have some fun like that is just completely gone. What I will say to that question from um, IWJ15 about the process the, and the Sixers leaking into the Philly mentality, I think it's really interesting. If you go back to 2011, each of our four teams were maybe the most old-fashioned in their respective sports. The Phillies are probably the last great team in baseball to win over the course of many years. I don't mean just a World Series without buying into analytics. They were that last great old-fashioned team, get some good pitching and the three-run home run, and we're just going to go out there and outslug you. That has more or less gone away to the, the, the Giants, the Cubs, the Royals, who have fully invested in building the right way, not needing a star, not, needing, not saying that you can't slug your way there because the Cubs had a historic offense, but they did it in a different way. The Flyers, that year they bought Ilya Brzezgalov, enough said. The Eagles were in the doldrums of the end of the Andy Reid era, and the Sixers were still owned by Comcast and spinning their wheels for an eighth seed. Within the next three years, all of the teams, first the uh, Sixers when Harris bought the team and then eventually put Hinky in charge, and they were upfront about tanking and going full-on the most progressive thing that's probably ever been done in the NBA. The Eagles bring in Chip Kelly, the most progressive coach. I don't even know what, what that was, but that a lot of people would claim it wasn't football. And they've since reverted back with Doug Peterson. The Phillies, a couple years later, bring in Andy McPhail and Matt Klentak, and Middleton takes over full ownership. And now they're going through their own tank. And the Flyers, 
Finally, turn the page, Ed Snyder dies, Hextall gets put in charge, and crazily enough, one of the most old-school, flyery guys of all times, their fighting goaltender, is the guy who's, who's doing this the right way and building through the draft and winning with young talent and not going and, and offer-sheeting guys like Shea Weber for no particular reason just because they have the money. And I feel like all the teams have swung so far from old school to progressive, in some cases the most progressive in each of their sports, and I think we're finding that the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I definitely see what your point is. Um, it's it's interesting because uh, there are moments of hope with the other ones. Um, you know, like Carson Wentz is a moment of hope. Joel Embiid is a moment of hope. Uh, Flyers, we're going to find out if it's Nico or whatever. I feel like that's what it could be this year. And Simmons, I think, has been someone that we've had a lot of pride in as a city. Um, but with the Phillies, the fact that it was supposed to be Franco and Herrera and neither of them are playing well, like that was what this Philly season was going to be. Let's watch Franco and Herrera Abdul grow. And now that we don't have that, it it's – the only difference I would say of your whole everyone's focusing on the future is the Phillies don't have one. Like they didn't hit on anything. And so it's really depressing. It's very interesting from the outside perspective to watch a lot of the local media too focusing so much on double A AA and triple A. There's so much coverage right now about those teams, which shows you how little there is to cover with the major league club. But it's it's really interesting the amount of tweets that I see about the iron pigs and like batting averages of minor league prospects. I heard it on the radio yesterday. They, they were talking about when do they start moving these guys up? That was the whole morning show on 97.5. And it's yeah, impatience is starting to kick in. And well, yeah, I mean, we're sitting here talking about NBA draft possibilities and stuff. And for the Phillies, that that is the minor leagues. It's it's really almost impossible, unless when you have one of those transcendent talents like a Bryce Harper in the draft to talk about MLB draft prospects because it is such a crapshoot. There might be one or two guys at the top of the draft every year who are, um, you know, kind of penciled in for to be a major league talent, but the rest of the guys you know, can be taken anywhere and turn out to be good players. So the, there's no draft discussion in baseball and you fall to the minor leagues. And like with the Phillies, I think, you know, to your point and to Russ's, the the pro- process, and I said this in Ryan Lawrence's piece, he it talked to a bunch of people, process is tougher in baseball because there isn't that short of thing. In the NBA, if you know, we know this year the Sixers can get a quality player in the top three. We knew last year they were going to get a star in Ben Simmons. We knew how good Joel Embiid could be if he ever got healthy. That's really not the case in baseball. So the idea of tanking, it's there's not a direct line from being bad to being good again. Uh, and also, even if there is, it is a much longer process because guys don't come up and get to the majors right away. They typically don't develop for like six to seven years after they're drafted. And if you miss on guys, and Franco wasn't really the new new regime, so you can't really blame them, but you're seeing Dominic what happens. Dominic Brown. Dominic Brown. Darren Ruff. When you have these guys come up and they don't pan out, like Brown, like Ruff, Franco and Herrera are still so young, that, you know, I don't want to say so young, both mid-20s, but they're, 
They're still young enough that they can absolutely turn this around. Now you have Vince Velasquez out with an elbow, a guy they acquired for Ken Giles. Uh, Aaron Nola has already had injury issues. If the young guys you have don't pan out, then you have to press a reset button again and hope that the next crop coming up, and the Phillies haven't had a lot of great had a lot of high round draft picks lately. You have to hope that those minor league guys you talked about are good. So the process is much tougher in baseball. But I do I just think it's really interesting that all four of these teams were stuck in this old world philosophy in 2011. Like you could have said each of them were the most old school, antiquated teams in their respective leagues in one way or another. And each of them turned the knob so far forward, and we saw that that wasn't the best thing either. Like the Eagles, like, all right, Chip Kelly, this is too much. Let's dial it back to Andy Reid light, but we'll keep some of Chip's sports science and nutrition things. The Sixers, Hinky dials it as far, like, off the knob to the right, and then they dial it back and bring in a conventional guy like Colangelo to put it all together. Are we going to see that with the Flyers? Thus far, Ron Hextall having to get rid of these big contracts. You're sounding, you're sounding very local radio right now. No. Which of the four teams do you no. think will turn it around first? I'm only kidding. But that's... That's you hate comparing the teams, but I do think like our city is so old school that all these teams, like all of our teams in the span of three years went from far to the, yep. the right to far to the left. And two of them already realized they had to like be somewhere in the middle. And I'd be interested to see if the Flyers and the Phillies eventually get to that point where like what Clintac's doing is too extreme or what Hextall's doing is maybe a little bit too conservative in terms of not signing players and they need to find a happy middle ground between being these progressive building for the future teams with sports science and analytics, but also maybe being a little bit conventional relying on scouts and the occasional free agent. Kyle, you're bringing a lot of Kofefe tonight. I don't even know what that means. You didn't see the trending word on Twitter right now No, from the, uh, the Trump tweet. Oh, you got to go look into it. Oh no, no, I'm 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 balls deep in uh, balls deep in process. Oh gosh, that sounds messy, gross, and way over the top. Uh, all right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. As always, uh, welcome the comments, feedback. Hit us up on Twitter. I'm Adam Lefko. Uh, Russell Joy was at Joy on Broad, and of course at Crossing Broad is Kyle. And if you leave a five star review and a comment in the iTunes, we will make sure to get to it. Uh, on Friday's show, which is going to be a struggle because I am mm-hmm. definitely staying up all night to watch the NBA Finals. So oof. you might have to carry us on Friday, Kyle, or Russell might have to carry us because I don't think he's watching the game. Do you think no, Russell will watch the game? I do. I, Russell, game? Russell, for as much as he talks oh, about I the know union, he loves it. He, he is a sports – he is a four-for-four four guy. But I also think that he he's going to hear this. I also think he makes chamomile tea and goes, ooh, 1030, big boy Russ has to go to bed now. That's what I imagine in my head. I'm not going to lie to you. I usually I, I usually don't make it till 1030, especially on nights we're doing the podcast. All right, so I'll be the only one who watches the NBA. I'm watching. No, I'm, I'm staying up. I've been looking. Like, look, it, I've been looking forward to like interesting sports for months now. Um, the Phillies – the Phillies aren't filling the void. The Stanley Cup Finals are meh. There's a lot of yellow on the ice right now. Everyone, I think, on the planet, every sports fan, every, in America at least, has been looking forward to the Finals. So I will, oh. I will take the lack of sleep to watch some hopefully competitive basketball, and hopefully it's not a four-game warrior sweep, which I kind of think it might turn out to be. You're crazy. That's just I, It's Look, the Cavs are awesome, but I don't know, man. 
I don't know. We'll find out. All right, guys. We will uh, talk to you on Friday. Enjoy the rest of your day.